We are up to our 27th class and on to the 27th chapter of the Tanya. And we are in the middle of a very important discussion and that is how do we be happy? A question that uh, is on many people's minds. The Tanya described last week, the week before, that when you have two wrestlers, even if the one wrestler is stronger than the other, if he is not motivated, then he is not going to win. So although we've given the formula over the last 25 chapters of how we can get in touch with our Neshama and achieve what we need to achieve, this is all good and fine as long as we're in a good emotional space. But if we're down, then we're in danger. And we described how a fundamental Hasidic principle is to be happy, to be joyful, to serve Hashem with joy. And we don't just mean to just fake it, and to just dance around and to put on a smile. We said that when you do, uh, there is a concept called fake it till you make it, but we're not sufficing with that. We're not just saying to pretend to be happy. We're talking about achieving real joy. I think the first important realization we need to have is that joy cannot be limited to being a result of our circumstances. I say it shouldn't be limited to that because definitely our circumstances definitely do affect our mood. At least from personal experience, maybe I have what to work on, but uh, when things are going better, I'm happier. When things are going not as well, that I'm not as happy. That's instinctively, that's naturally, without effort. But we have the ability to achieve joy in all circumstances. And so, joy isn't a result of a good life. But a good life is a result of joy. Which means that if and when we are able to work on our joy, then that itself is what makes our life all the, all the better. That said, a guy calls you up and he says, I'm just feeling down. Or a woman calls you up, I'm just feeling down. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. You know, what do I do? So hopefully you'll realize that there's a cause. It's not going to be good enough to just say, go make yourself a coffee or go uh, do this or do that. If the person is feeling down, something is getting them down. What is it that's getting the person down? Once you're able to identify what it is that's getting the person down, then we could see how do we deal with it. We divided the causes of melancholy or being down to either spiritual or physical. And over the last chapter, chapter 26, we described how a person can either be down because of their physical well-being. In simple terms, a person is suffering, whether financially, emotionally, Physically, he has physical or she has physical hardships. Things that make it really difficult to live. 
The Tanya's response to that challenge in this section of the Tanya was to view the difficulties as hidden good. Again, as we described then, this doesn't mean that you need to come up with an explanation of how it really is a good thing. No, could be from your perspective, the good is completely concealed. It's, it's not revealed. It's, it's, it only looks bad. But just the knowledge that this isn't a punishment, it's not that I am now, what happened, and, and now I'm messed over, but rather a perspective of there is a godly plan, and Hashem has a hidden good over here, and I may not see it, but it's there. So reframing the difficulty with that perspective enables us to still be able to be happy. Because there's good. Obviously, we need to also count our blessings and see what revealed good we have and be grateful and all the things that many of us are so familiar with as far as how to be happy, being grateful and happy with what we have. But even within the difficulty itself, to realize that there too is a hidden blessing, even if we don't see it. That was the Tanya's response to physical difficulty and how to rise above it. Then we spoke about spiritual difficulty. What if a person is feeling really guilty about the mistakes that they've made, about the sins that they've done? Before we said that when things look really bad, it's really a hidden good. Here we say the opposite. Tanya doesn't put it this way, but it's really a hidden bad. What do I mean? If you think that you're being so um, righteous by uh, feeling bad about your sins, then know that no, actually this isn't a hidden good. This is a hidden bad. This is actually the evil inclination that is trying to topple you. Yetzirah is coming and he's saying that it's the end of the world, and it's too terrible, and therefore, it's give up. Give up. The situation's messed up. You've, you've, you've ruined the situation. You may as well now just go and party because uh, the damage is so bad that it can't really get worse. That is the uh, Yetzirah, the evil inclination's uh, game plan. He doesn't say all of that. He comes and he looks very righteous and he looks very holy and he says, oh no, what have you done? And so I say, it's not a hidden good, it's a hidden bad. What's the solution? The solution is to make a meeting, to allocate a time, a constructed time within a few minutes to deal with the issues. The issues do need to be dealt with. It's not bluff. We have done things that are wrong and they do need to be corrected. They need to be resolved. They're not going to run away. If you've said something nasty, then that person, as much as you're feeling bad, that person's also feeling bad about it. They're walking around and they're feeling miserable. How did you say such a thing to them? But you don't respect them. I thought we were friends. So damage has been done. But that guilt is really just the Yetzirah. Rather allocate a time, address it, and then immediately turn into a, uh, change over into a positive, uh, happy, uh, forward thinking approach. This was done, but this is how we move forward. Obviously, it existed on an organizational level and certainly on a personal level. So suffering is a hidden good. Jewish guilt is a hidden bad. But make a time, address it, and move forward. And now we come to chapter 27.
So while until now the person was down because of the challenges that come their way, whether it be physical or spiritual, and they were real, it was whether it was physical challenges where the person is really suffering or spiritual suffering uh, challenges where the person has really sinned. Although he said it's just the, the Yetzirah that's trying to topple him, but it's real issues that he's dealt with that are getting him down. But there are particular issues. It's this particular sin or that particular struggle. It's an area in my life and that's getting me down. What happens when a person feels like that life itself is getting them down? It's no longer about this issue or that issue. They're just feeling so finished. You know, a teenager sometimes has, feels like that. It's so traumatic. They, they try to figure out who they are. And then all of the emotions and, and relationships. And, 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 and uh, it's so confusing. And then we console them that, you know, this is just a stage. You'll grow up and then you'll mature. And then the challenges that you have now, you won't have. Well, what about those of us that feel that I've grown up and I'm no longer a teenager. And I've still got these challenges. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Still frustrated by not being able to get over myself by these continuous challenges, and they don't seem to be going away. This relentlessness of life, of just a continuous, perpetual struggle, one thing to the next to the next. When a person starts running out of uh, motivation, then they're they're in danger. To come from the Tanya's wording or perspective, the Tanya speaks specifically about inappropriate thoughts. So I'm parking that question for a moment. How do we deal with life's relentless struggles that get us down where it's not something specific, but it's a general frustration that I'm not getting anywhere, that I'm not getting past this, that I'm not getting to that peaceful space where things are just more positive and good and happy and wonderful, but rather it's frustrating. Let's park that. And now let's come from a different angle. So hold on to that thought. And we're going to talk about inappropriate thoughts. And I need to give a little introduction and remember what we learned in chapter four, a couple of months ago. We all know that we need to take charge of our actions, of our behavior. And we also need to take control of our speech. And if we don't control our behavior or our speech, then we, we are held accountable by those around us, by Hashem in heaven. But what about thoughts? Can we control our thoughts? What do you say? No? We can't control, can't control our thoughts. To an extent. We can't control our thoughts to an extent. Or we, either way, to an extent we can or we can't. Your, your thoughts will pop in and then you can work on it. Brilliant. You've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. There's two types of thoughts in Hasidic philosophy. There are initial thoughts or natural thoughts or passive thoughts that pop into our heads. And then there are deliberate thoughts that we occupy our minds with. 
As far as the thoughts that fall into our heads, we can't control that. Those thoughts are a result of maybe what's going on in our heart and many different things, our subconscious being. But what we decide to think about, we certainly can control. Again, we can't control what thoughts pop into our heads, but we can control what to do with them. And so while in society at large, we're only expected to control how we act or how we speak, Hasidus or Torah demands that we even control how we think. And a classic example of that is when it comes to relationships with people. As far as in the society at large, you can think whatever you want about the other person, but as long as you don't say anything, then you're fine. But as we know, especially in South Africa, dealing with apartheid and racism, it's not enough to change what you say. You do need to change what you think. And so it's, there's a tradition that by Chassidim, there wasn't as much of an emphasis on Lashon Haram, not saying something bad about the other person, because there was more of an emphasis on how do you think about another person? How will you even come to need to restrain yourself from saying something bad? Because you shouldn't even be thinking that way about the person. So we can control our thoughts. Chapter 27, however, addresses the frustration of inappropriate thoughts that fall into a person's mind. Where a person would like to think that they've invested a lot in their service of Hashem. They've tried to grow, they've tried to daven, they've tried to do mitzvahs, they've tried to advance. And yet the kind of thoughts that sometimes pop into my head, it's ridiculous. It just kind of is indicative of, where, of the fact that I've gone nowhere. Here's an interesting question. Maybe it's a bit of a sensitive one. Is it okay if a person's having suicidal thoughts? It's dangerous because those thoughts can bring to action. Certainly. So from one, on the one side of the coin, it's definitely not okay. Because as you say, it's dangerous and thoughts lead to speech, lead to action. And as we've described, there's thoughts that fall into a person's head and there's deliberate thinking. So it's one thing if a person just has this thought pop into their head, but it's another thing if now the person is consumed by these thoughts. Because if a person is consumed, then it could take the person to dangerous places. But on the other hand, is it okay? What do you mean? The person's having it. Are they not okay? So... Okay, you might say they're not okay, but they're not okay, but they are who they are. So yes, you've got to try to address and, 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 and see why is the person feeling that, why is the person even considering such thoughts? Why is it coming into their head? And certainly it doesn't sound like a bad idea to visit a psychologist and to try to get in touch with what's, what's, what's initiating it. But at the same time, there's also a response that's like kind of get over yourself, meaning 
don't you're not doomed you're not like messed up this doesn't mean that you've got major um, issues you're a human being and these thoughts popped in and now how are you going to respond to them how are you going to address them okay so you're going to work on your your uh Whatever it is that the professionals say you need to work on, you'll work on maybe having a good uh, um, uh, support system of friends, of family, you'll invest in good activities, you'll take yourself to good places. If necessary, maybe a bit of medication will, 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 will be a good thing to have in place to make sure that you're in a safe space. Do whatever it is that you need to take, but, but it is who you are. You, the, the person had these thoughts. It doesn't mean that they're less human than anybody else. Anyhow, maybe I should park that and come back to the point of the Tanya. Back to the question. So we pose the question that what about when the person is frustrated that the struggles of life don't seem to stop? And in the, con- in the wording of the Tanya, the Tanya addresses it from a religious context. A person is frustrated about the inappropriate thoughts that fall into their head. That I thought I'm past this. And the Tanya really has, could be divided into three responses three-step response so again the larger topic is how do we achieve joy and in order to achieve it we've got to see what's getting us down so we spoke about physical hardships we spoke about spiritual guilt and now we speak about the frustration of inappropriate thoughts or the frustration of person feeling that they're not getting past level a they thought that they would like to advance and this is still what's going through their mind and the answer of the Tanya, step number one, is that you're actually in a good space. You have an opportunity to do a mitzvah. We say every day in the Dashmah, don't stray after your uh, heart and after your eyes, meaning that one of the mitzvahs that Hashem gives us is to control our thoughts. So instead of being frustrated that why am I still dealing with these types of inappropriate thoughts when I would have hoped that I would have advanced by now, say to yourself, what do you mean why are you dealing with it? Hashem has placed you here with an opportunity to do a mitzvah. You have the opportunity to take control, to control these thoughts. There was one sachasid that came to the third Chabad Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, and he complains. He said, what should I do that I don't have a excitement for learning. And the Rebbe responded, what should I do that I do have an excitement for learning? He was saying to him that you wishing that you, you were on the, the grass is greener on the other side, that you just had the excitement and you'd be able to just sit and learn without any issues. And for me, it comes natural. I wish that it would, I would be able to have the opportunity to put on the, the, the fight that you need to put on. There's a famous story with the Rebbe and I didn't look it up now to find the details. But it was, I'm just going to say the point of it. The point of it was that there was a girl that was struggling terribly. Um, I'm not sure if I'm mixing two stories. Maybe she was, um, it was um, her, she wanted to marry a non-Jew. And her parents had tried to take her to all different rabbis to dissuade her out of it. And if I remember correctly, the rabbi said to her that I envy you. Jealous of you. Jealous of you. Like everybody else is there to you know, convince her out of it. And the Rebbe is now jealous. And the explanation was, the Rebbe was saying that the fact that Hashem 
has given you this challenge means that you have an incredible opportunity to tackle one of the biggest challenges of life. And that opportunity I've never had. So, so you, you have a special mitzvah that I can't do. So the first step to being able to achieve joy despite the struggles of life is to realize that that's where we are meant to be and there's a mitzvah in it. I guess acceptance. The first step is to realize that there's opportunity over here. Don't try to wish that you weren't here. Because you are here, the special opportunity, and we'll speak more about that in a moment. The second step is that we shouldn't get too full of ourselves. Our frustration of not advancing could actually come from a place of arrogance. And that is that I'm John Shamo. I wouldn't expect of myself to be dealing with this kind of issue. Well, maybe it's time for a, a reality check. Check in with yourself and see who are you. You think that you're a tzaddik, in the words of the Tanya, that a tzaddik never even has any inappropriate thoughts. If only you were even just a benedi. And these are famous words of the Tanya. If only we were even just a benedi. What do you mean? We, we, we're striving for the sky. We're striving to be a tzaddik. We're striving for, striving for inner transformation. But you've got to realize where you are. And if you're feeling frustrated that these are the, your struggles then uh, maybe may that you think that you're somebody that you're not. There was a particular chassid by the name of Ruve Dunim. And he relates, later he became a spiritual mentor, that he once succeeded in davening with concentration, without interruption, for three days. And oh, was he on a high. By day number four, he developed a whole new respect for himself. Day number five, he was now ready to take his davening to the next level. And it was just then that as he was about to daven on day five of this, uh, after reaching the spiritual ecstasy, that his mind got flooded with the most ridiculous stuff, just absolute nonsense. Here he is, Ruben Dunim, he's about to daven, he's reaching these amazing heights of concentration without interruption, and the kind of ideas, thoughts, inappropriate thoughts that are flying through his head are absolutely ridiculous. And like he thought he made it. And he described how he became embarrassed. How can I... You know, the Davana now have such thoughts. In fact, it even brought him to tears. And when it brought him to tears, he had a new respect for himself. Because now he's so, his davening is so amazing that when it's not amazing, he cries about it. And then he went into the river. And the river opened up to the chapter that we're learning, chapter 27 of the Tanya. And the river showed him how a person being down can come from their arrogance. And basically he realized that these foreign thoughts weren't so foreign. They were him. He was still remain. He still had those thoughts. So when he was getting so frustrated that how, how, how could it come to him? 
He had to have that reality check. He's not a tzaddik. He's still a human being. And there are still these thoughts. And uh, he's got to continue to uh, deal with himself as he is himself on a daily basis. He hasn't reached any uh, plateaus. I must say, when I read the story, I was a little bit torn. Because the punchline of the story was that he felt that these four thoughts were foreign, but really they were him. And it bothered me a little bit because so much of the Tanya describes how our sins are not who we are. They don't define us. They're only something foreign. As we described earlier, it's only a spirit of silliness that overcomes us, that convinces us to do something that naturally we would never do. But this is one of the big debates of the Tanya. Who am I? Am I my godly soul or am I my animal soul? Am I the neshamu within me that wants to attach to myself to Hashem? Or am I the animal that is just a human being that has those continuous struggles? And it's a debate. But for here, here in chapter 27, this is the basis of the side of the argument that we're, uh, we remain human beings with our existing struggles. That's step number two. Again, step number one is to embrace ourselves where we are and find the opportunities. Find the mitzvahs. Step number two is not to, be, to realize that if we are getting frustrated, maybe we're arrogant, maybe we, we're holding ourselves too high. And then we come to point number three, which is really so powerful. And that is, Tanya says, maybe, this is why you were created. Famous line of the Tanya. Meaning. That the struggle is the destination. Meaning. That there is a tremendous inherent value within the struggle itself. So it's not just a matter of coming to terms with where you are and not thinking you're a big shot and, and finding the blessings and the opportunities where you are, but realizing that where you are in the struggle is perhaps the best place you could ever be. How could it be? Struggle is the best place you'll ever be. So it requires a little bit of perspective. It requires that we realize how incredible our struggle is. When I say how incredible our struggle is, I don't mean how incredible our challenges. Challenges are not cool. I mean how incredible we are when we put on the fights, when we persevere. And so if a person is feeling frustrated that life's continuous struggles don't seem to fade away and they're getting a person down, then more than acceptance, we should realize that there is something incredible that we can achieve in this continuous, not just that we can achieve, that we do achieve, that we continuously achieve as we fight these temptations, as we fight these inappropriate thoughts, or as we fight these uh, basic human um, things that keep getting us down that we would have loved to, to uh, graduate. And what is that? Tanya says, for starters, that every time I restrain myself, every time I 
get the forces of evil, my forces of evil, my Yetzirah under control, I cause a global subduing of the forces of evil in the higher and lower worlds. I'm just trying to imagine the scene of where a guy standing in the stadium of thousands of people and he's wearing, just to example that's closer to me, he's wearing, I don't know, his hat and his jacket and beard. He looks like a very uh, clear chassid. And uh, some guy, uh, I don't know, throws a notch on his face. And he's ready. He wants to just like slap the guy across the face, which maybe he should do, I don't know. But uh, the point that I'm saying is that a guy is one in a, a couple of thousand people and he now has a moral dilemma. How is he going to respond to this? Is he going to let his mouth open up and let a whole line of dirty words come out? Or is he going to stand strong? Is he going to give in? And he doesn't realize that the stadium camera right now is on him. So he thinks he's just one person and a couple of thousand people sitting in that stadium. And right now he's going to decide. I don't know, maybe he's just got into an argument with his wife and he's going to decide whether... You know, how he handles the situation. What he doesn't realize is that all the thousands of people sitting in the stadium that are looking up on the screens right now are all there. They're like, how's he going to handle it? And like, if he, if he messes up, then I don't stand a chance. Then, okay, I give up, you know. And then every person will go home, you know, just dramatizing the situation. And then in their own relationships, they're like, he couldn't do it. I don't stand a chance. Or they see that, wow, he persevered. He, 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 he made that moral choice. And they're like, wow, we could do it as well. Maybe it's an example of, I don't know, $1,000 falls out of the guy in front of his pocket and he could just pocket it and he's now deciding, do I keep it, do I give it back? But the point that I'm making is that he feels that he's in, in his own little world that he's making his own little moral choices. But the Tanya says that every time that we fulfill our mission of overpowering the evil inclination, we cause evil in the whole world to be diminished. Every personal victory in our perpetual struggle causes a global transformation to the world. So we're all talking about global change and global transformation. And if we realize that, if we realize that it's in our hands, that every time we put on that fight and we do what we need to do and we take on the next challenge of the perpetual struggles of life, if we realize that every time we do that, we're causing the, the forces of evil on a global level to be reduced. We're turning the whole world into a better place. We're causing global transformation. Then why would we retire? Why would we want to just retire where we could just, you know, now, whatever it is, sit and watch sunsets and drink some uh, cocktails and, and life's all wonderful and no more struggles and just it's time to live it up. What could be more meaningful and actually enjoyable than being able to cause this global transformation to the world? And finally, and one final point, it's a lot that's said over here in chapter 27, but I see we need to start wrapping up. 
in a few weeks, maybe next week, maybe this week, we're going to read about how Isaac, Yitzchak, not this week, but it's coming up. Isaac wanted to bless his firstborn son. And he said to his son, to Esau, bring me mat'abim, delicacies. Bring me supper, bring me food. And Esau goes out, and while he's out, his uh, um, Yaakov's mother sees what's going on, and he calls Yaakov in, and he gets Yaakov to dress up as Esau, and he brings in these delicacies, and he takes the brachas, and we have a lot of drama to follow. The Zayar, Kabbalah, says that this phenomena of Abraham, sorry, of Yitzchak asking his sons for delicacies is reflective of the father of the world, of God, turning to us people, or in this context, the Jewish people, and saying, I want delicacies. I want you to give me delicious food. Now what's gonna what's gonna what's what's Hashem gonna find tasty? Mitzvahs. But very interestingly, he doesn't say bring me a delicacy. He says mat abim delicacies in the plural. And Kabbalah describes, and Tanya here in chapter twenty seven describes that there are two types of delicious foods. There are some foods that just taste good. And I'm no chef. So, I don't know, maybe you can help me out. But uh, there's some foods that originally are very sharp and inedible. But when you spice them right, they're a real treat. They're a real delicacy. And the Tanya says that the service of the tzaddik is the former type of delicacy. He just does his mitzvahs. Life is good. Life is wonderful. He doesn't deal with that relentless struggle and those frustrations and uh and Hashem loves it it's wonderful he likes his mitzvahs and he does what he needs to do and he and it makes it pleasurable in God's eyes but then there's a second type of delicacy and that's specifically the delicacy that comes from sinful thoughts the delicacy of sinful thoughts how, how are sinful thoughts a delicacy the delicacy of when a person overpowers his sinful thoughts when a person has those inappropriate thoughts, but he still takes control and he directs himself in a positive space, that sharpness transformed causes a much greater delight to Hashem. And the Tanya concludes that this isn't only limited to sinful thoughts, but really this is in general um, about... Restraint, restraining ourselves from the Yetzirah, pushing him off. Or in Hasidic terminology, it's called iskatia, which means to, to bend him over, to hold him back. In simple terms, it means that when we want to do something, even if it's not forbidden, but if it's just pure indulgence, we should accustom ourselves to putting our foot on the brake, just holding back. And, and that restraint, that's, exercising of who's boss, of who's in control. I don't know where I saw somebody, he had, he, every time he'd eat, he'd turn to the fish and he'd say, little fish, who's boss? 
eating. Are you my boss that you're going to make me eat now and instantly because, like, you know, I'm, uh, I can't resist? Or am I your boss and you might need to wait a couple of minutes till it's time for me to eat my dinner? When we're able to exercise control of our impulses, then uh, we cause a transformation to the whole world. And interestingly, at the very end of the chapter, the, the author concludes that and perhaps as a result of a person's continuous efforts, this will evoke a spirit of holiness from above that will actually give him the uh, opportunity to graduate that challenge, to actually reach, reach higher heights. So we're not giving up. We are looking to get over them. And as we, like we discussed many weeks ago, the analogy of the space shuttle, we are trying to get rid of some of our struggles, that they're no longer struggles, and we take on new struggles. But when we are frustrated that the struggles keep coming and they don't seem to go away, then we should remember that this could make us super happy, believe it or not. It could make us happy because we could realize that we continuously have an opportunity to be boxers. I just saw last night that there's an Orthodox boxer, I think his name is Dimitri, and he just coached the world's number one uh, female boxer. And he's a, where's the Yavokan? He said it is a proud Orthodox Jew. But boxing is a really Jewish game, believe it or not, because that's what we've got to do. I heard my grandfather used to like boxing. It always used to bother me. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, when I say it's a Jewish game, I'm not suggesting you get into the boxing ring. But I mean, it really epitomizes Judaism. We've got to be boxers. We've got to get out there onto the ring and we've got to fight and we've got to fight with a passion and an excitement and a joy. We're not looking to just go on a cruise and just to enjoy it for life to just be nice and dandy. We're looking to take on every challenge and to beat that challenge and to, to make our parents and our family and a God Almighty pride causing this global change for the better. Thanks for joining. I forgot to mention that the incredible global impact that one has on subduing the forces of evil as well as the incredible pleasure that a person causes to Hashem is achieved not only when a person completely restrains himself from sinning. But even in the event where God forbid a person ended up succumbing to his temptations and he did sin, if he managed to restrain himself for an hour and he sinned at two o'clock instead of sitting at one o'clock, although he may have lost at two, that whole hour from one to two that he held himself back, also causes a global effect on the forces of evil and also causes tremendous delight to Hashem. So even the battles that we've lost, we have also won. We have also possibly won along the way. May Hashem allow us to see our victories. L'chaim.